This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierrosa is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we begin chapter 20. Equality and inclusion are important concepts. Equal justice under the law and inclusion of minority views and opinions are foundational principles in American society. But today, these words have taken on new meanings, and they've often become wedge issues that seem to be tearing us apart. In Matthew, Jesus reveals God's perspective on equality and inclusion and reminds us that he is the only one qualified to determine who it is that will be saved. No human notion of fairness or justice counts. So we need to listen to what Jesus says, or we risk being excluded from the kingdom of God. Let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So follow along with me. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read verses 1 through 16 of Matthew chapter 20. This is Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go in the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. The idea here is that Jesus wants to teach the disciples, and namely you and me, about inclusion and equality according to his own value system in what really matters. Because again, what prompted him to explain that parable is the disciples thinking that they would have VIP positions in the kingdom because three of them went to the Mount of Transfiguration and experienced the glory of Christ in advance. But for now, I want us to understand Inclusion according to Jesus, verses 1 through 7, because that's what he's talking about here. Inclusion according to Jesus. Clearly, Jesus wants people in the kingdom of heaven. He wants to include people in the kingdom of heaven, church. Why else would he invite people to repent and be saved? Why would he use the metaphor of a landowner who left the comfort of his farm to go hire people to work in his vineyard? Don't miss the parallel here. The owner of that vineyard is Jesus himself, the one who goes out into the field and invites people to come in. There's an invitation, and that invitation is universal. 
which means everybody gets the invitation. No one gets left behind from hearing the gospel. That is inclusion according to God's plan. During his earthly ministry, Jesus instructed the disciples, you will remember in Matthew 10 verses 5 through 7, do not go into the way to the Gentiles. In other words, exclude the Gentiles for now for this particular mission trip. And do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a temporary exclusion because the priority was for the Jews to hear the gospel first. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own received them not. So he says, you go to them, include them in the invitation. Now, in case people missed the invitational aspect of the message and focused too much on the condemnation part of that message, Christ clarified in the Sermon on the Mount, enter through the narrow gate, Matthew 7 verse 13. There is a gate. In other words, there is an opportunity for people to come in. They can't come through the walls. They have to go through the narrow gate. There's an invitation there. It's a universal invitation. How do we know that? Because after the resurrection, shortly before his ascension, he explained that the kingdom inclusion was available to all the nations. That's why he commissioned the disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew and in every other Gospel here and in the book of Acts. But in Matthew, Matthew describes the Great Commission as this, that Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Church, that is inclusion according to God's view. Every nation of the world will receive the message of the Gospel. They are invited to come to Jesus Christ. Now, John, the apostle who heard the commission, later elaborates in 1 John 2, verse 2, that Jesus himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also to those of the whole world. Church, the death of Christ on the cross is enough, is sufficient, I should say, to pay for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, everybody is called upon to respond to the message, to the invitation to enter in the kingdom of heaven through the narrow gate. For this reason, future generation of disciples after that first generation would translate the gospel into foreign languages. That is the reason, church, why we sent missionaries around the world and we translate the Bible into languages that don't have a written form. No people group is to be excluded from the invitation to repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ, come to faith in, in the true God. But while the invitation is universal, we also understand that ingress is conditional. Not everyone will make it to the kingdom of heaven. People will be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. They will not enter through the narrow gate. Contrary to what universalism teaches, God will not welcome anyone into the kingdom indiscriminately. God will not just open the door and say, yeah, come on in, anybody. Everybody is in. That's not what the Bible teaches. Although that's what people want us to believe, an agreement needs to take place, church. Because admittance in the, into the kingdom can only happen by grace, through faith. And when you confess Jesus as Lord, you are agreeing with God about what he says concerning who you are, concerning your sinfulness, concerning his ability to save you. That's what the agreement needs to be all about. You and God need to be on the same page before you enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the idea here. Just like you need proper attire to attend some events. People need to be covered in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Namely, by the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, according to Philippians 3, verses 8 through 9. Unless you have that righteousness of Christ covering you, 
You will be left out of the kingdom. You will be excluded from the kingdom of heaven. So although the invitation is universal, many people will reject the invitation because they're going to want to make it to the kingdom of heaven on their own merit, wearing their own righteousness. And the Bible says that is a no-no. Let me give you another concrete image of this abstract concept. We already talked about this, a gate. Well, church, what is the purpose of a gate? Think about that. A gate restricts. A gate controls entrance. A narrow one does that even more clearly. It pictures the exclusion of many people. So even though the the invitation is universal, everybody is invited to come to Christ by grace through faith. Many people will reject that invitation, and therefore they will be excluded. They will be denied ingress. Let me give you a list of people who will not make it to the kingdom of heaven according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's writing this to a church populated by former sinners from this type here, people who responded to the invitation and therefore now were admitted to the kingdom. But those people in these categories here who refused the invitation will be left out. Paul says it very clearly. However, those who accept the invitation, those who make that agreement with God, Paul describes this inclusion. For example, addressing the same group of people we read about a few minutes ago, he says, such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, in other words, redeemed sinners of all kinds will populate heaven because they have accepted the invitation that was issued to them. And church like Corinth, Grace Baptist is populated by redeemed sinners of all kinds. People who responded to the call of salvation and are now in Christ. You have no merit on your salvation. You're only a member of the kingdom because you understood God's saving message and you responded to the message. There's no merit in that. The credit belongs to Christ alone. So everybody gets the invitation to repent, to be washed, to be sanctified, to be restored into the kingdom of heaven, to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Church, that is true inclusion. God leaves no one out. No one is excluded from that invitation. In church, we get to tell the world that the great landowner who owns the universe invites sinners to forsake their sin and to embrace the Savior. We know that not everyone will, tragically, and that excludes them from the kingdom. But heaven will be populated by representatives, according to Revelation 5.9, of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. That is true inclusion. It started with the 11 Jewish disciples, and I say 11 because Judas was never saved. He was a son of perdition, the Bible says. But Jesus pictures in this parable, perhaps they are the first crew who were hired in the beginning of the shift. So the landowner hires the first generation of workers. The landowner, Jesus himself, keeps inviting people. He invites people over and over again. And that demonstrates the kindness of God, because otherwise these workers would have no other opportunity to earn a living, no other opportunity to even feed themselves or their families. So God here, represented by the landowner, extends the invitation repeatedly to future generations. The landowner goes again in the 11th hour to hire more workers. It's not that because the work is not done. It's exclusively because of his generosity. These guys had lost all hope. But then the benevolent 
landowner hires them at the last hour. How do we know that this is all about the generosity of the landowner? Because of the response from these guys. No one hired us. We've been standing here. No one wants us. Now, everybody who was reading this parable, everybody who heard this parable for the first time expects this last group to earn at least one-twelfth of everybody else. At least. Because that is our sense of justice. Because we're thinking, wait a minute, these guys, I hope that these guys are going to earn at least a fraction of what the other guys had earned. It's not justice. It's not right. That offends our sense of justice. Well, church, prepare to have your sensibilities challenged by the Word of God. Because if God gave us all justice, we would all be in hell. Rightly so. Because that's what we deserve. None of us deserved the invitation. None of us deserved to be called, to be given that chance. Let me talk then about equality according to Jesus. We talked about inclusion according to Jesus. The remainder of the parable talks about equality according to Jesus, verses 8 through 16. In those days, you will remember, the Pharisees thought, and they also taught, that they had earned a special place in the kingdom because of their perceived faithfulness. They were the self-appointed leaders of Israel, the self-appointed righteous folks of Israel, the, 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 the leaders, the religious leaders of that community, of that culture. And you remember, some of that attitude influenced the disciples. And we know that because of what they say, again, in, in Matthew 18, verse 1, when they say, well, who among us is the greatest? We know, Jesus, that in the Sermon on the Mount, you said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not make it to the kingdom. So they say, okay, we know that our righteousness passes their righteousness. We know that. But who among us here is the cream of the crop? And later on, Peter, again, representing the whole group, says, when do we cash in? We left everything behind, Jesus. However, what they missed because of the influence of that pharisaical attitude is that trusting in your own performance is exactly what excludes people from the kingdom of heaven. No one will be in the kingdom because of their own accomplishments. No one enters the kingdom based on their own merit. And no one stays in the kingdom because of their own merit. It's all by the grace of God anyway, because no one enters the kingdom of heaven on personal merit. Every member of the kingdom is there equally as a recipient of divine grace. Do we understand that? That's the lesson here. Everyone in the kingdom of heaven is there equally because of divine grace. Jew, Gentiles, repentant sinners, repentant Pharisees, repentant prostitutes, repentant adulterers, repentant drunkards, swindlers, repentant homosexuals, and so forth. They're all in the kingdom of heaven equally for only one reason, exclusively the grace of God. No merit on their own. And that is the lesson here. And Jesus wants everybody to understand, <laughs> you're concerned about greatness in the kingdom where you should be thankful that you are in the kingdom in the first place. Let God take care of your rewards when that day comes. Because according to Paul, people receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Check this out, church, for there is no distinction. Romans 3 verse 22, that's true equality. Equality according to God is this, you and I, are all sinners saved by the grace of God. None of us deserve to be in heaven. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are equally defective of the glory of God and therefore deserving of hell and are only in the kingdom of heaven because of His grace. Furthermore, by affirming that many who are first will be last and the last first, Jesus is explaining to the disciples that everybody who makes it to the kingdom of heaven passes through the gate with equal standing. There is no gold, silver, 
or bronze as far as ranking in the kingdom in, in terms of merit. Everyone crosses the finish line together, having nothing to offer and everything to receive. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to get the same rewards. We know that that's not true because in the next scene, when the mother of James and John went to Jesus and says, make one of two of my sons, one in your right, one on the left, Jesus says, it's not for me to give those positions. The father has already determined that. So we know that there is such a thing. But as far as entering the kingdom, everybody makes it on equal standing, namely with nothing to offer and everything to receive. That's because, church, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. You and I have the greatest gift someone can ever receive, and that is we have been admitted into the kingdom of heaven. That's true equality because none of us deserve to be there. So let me talk to you about two aspects of this equality, and then we'll conclude with that. First, I want you to know that sinners are equally redeemable. There are people, uh, let me say, they are beings in the created order who are not eligible for salvation. Did you know that? I'll give you an example. Demons will never be saved. Fallen angels are never going to be redeemed. So salvation is a gift to people exclusively. Sinners are equally redeemable. So when I mean sinners, I'm referring to human sinners. The fictitious landowner here operates by a strange philosophy. Like I said, it's strange for us compared to human wisdom. We don't operate by the same philosophy. And that is on purpose. And thank God for that because he embodies the divine attribute of grace. Church, pay close attention. We would never know about the grace of God if we had never sinned. So because we have sinned and deserve nothing from God then this parable here illustrates the divine attribute of grace, when a God that comes down to earth in the person of his Son and invites undeserving sinners equally to come to the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say, well, get your life together before you come to me. No, he says, you come to me now, empty-handed. you got nothing to offer anyway, and every sinner is equally redeemable. But again, you say, Pastor, I can't get over the fact that the laborers here are working for their wages. There's no grace here. They've earned their payment. Again, church, the reason we, we think like this, our thought processes like this, is because we're thinking like human beings. We're not thinking divine thoughts here. They only worked because the landowner invited them. There would be no work for anybody if the divine landowner had not come to the field and say, you come, you come to me. So this is the divine initiative here. And like the disciples, we can hardly believe the story. You and I probably would have counseled the first crew in this story here to complain with the local labor board. We would have said, man, you're being cheated. Despite the fact that the boss honored the contract, he never cheated anyone. And he says that he even calls him a friend. And the reason we react this way, church, I suspect, is that we think God owes us much. And that is very hard to get rid of, that thought. We think that God owes us, when in reality, he owes us nothing. He does not, he's not obligated to give us health. He is not obligated to give us prosperity, freedom from trouble. We think our service to him accomplishes so much that unless we receive more divine accolades than worse sinners, we're getting the short end of the stick. We say, Lord, I have been a Christian for 50 years, and this is what I get? And this is the type of treatment I receive? I remember when our son passed away. One man came to me enraged. And said, you are a good man. You help people. If that's how God treats people, I don't want to follow God. 
And I said, brother, I don't know what sentence to correct first. So let me give it a try. I am not a good man. I am a sinner. I may be better than Hitler, but I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. God doesn't owe me a trouble-free life. God doesn't even have to explain to me why he does these things. I'm not entitled to an explanation. Now, to those who come to Christ, this is what Jesus does promise. Eternal life. Freedom from condemnation and freedom from the control of sin and future rewards, which he talks about here. None of which we deserve. None of which we can earn. Therefore, church, we only have these blessings because of the grace of an incredibly generous and kind God. Your next breath is a gift from God. Your next heartbeat is a gift from God. The only reason you're not burning in hell is because of an incredibly generous God who withholds from you judgment that you deserve and judgment that I deserve and gives us eternal life that we don't deserve. And that is by His grace. Now, when we don't understand this, church, we will suffer tremendously because we are going to think that everybody owes us something. We're going to think that the whole world needs to revolve around me. And unless I'm treated like a victim, then I'm receiving the short end of the stick. That is our community. That is our culture. There's a new group of victims being made up every month. And they get their own month of the calendar now. That is not the divine perspective. Listen to what Paul says. Here's how he presents the right perspective in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, you and I need to look at each other and consider ourselves slaves of Christ. A slave doesn't get to decide anything. A slave doesn't get to say, hmm, I wonder, I think I'm going to go there now. A slave receives orders and serves the master faithfully. Now, we happen to serve a wonderful master, a wonderful, benevolent, all-powerful master. We are stewards of his mystery. In other words, we have a message that is not our own that we need to give to the world. That is our job. The picture here that Paul uses is a third-level galley slave, an under-rower. Remember those ships, Roman ships, where you have slaves rowing the ship and receiving whips from the master? That, that's Paul's perspective. He says, I just want to do my job. I just want to row the ship. We are not Christ's associates, church. Some of you may think you are his advisors. We are his lowly, unimpressive, undeserving bond servants who are fortunate to be able to serve in his vineyard. The same grace, church, that redeemed us can also redeem the prostitute, the child molester, the corrupt politician. It is our job to make sure that they know about it. Our job is to let them know the same grace that saved me can save you, but you need to agree with God that you are a sinner. If you don't, you are outside of the kingdom. There's no inclusion. But here's how that whole story ends. Sinners are equally redeemable, but according to verses 11 through 16, saints are equally rewardable. Every saint will receive a reward from God. No one will be left out. Not because we deserve, but because of His grace alone. And this is only because Christ promised to reward. Not because believers deserve anything. We don't. The fact that we're in the kingdom already should be enough for us to celebrate for eternity. That's what Jesus is saying here. You should be thankful that you are in the kingdom. And Jesus, therefore, uses the reaction of the fictitious workers here to highlight an unfortunate dynamic of the human heart. And that unfortunate dynamic is this. The laborers, the first crew, 
celebrated when they were hired, but they lamented when others received the same generosity. But let's get personal here, church. This is for all of us to think. How do you react when someone else receives the blessing you think you should have received? Do you rejoice in the success of others? Or do you resent God because you should have received more? Do you join the heavenly celebration when a sinner repents, even at the end of life? Or do you resent God and say, you let him get away his whole life with this? And I've been serving you here for 50-something years, being persecuted, being criticized? How about this, church? How about when a fellow believer falls into sin? Do you say to God, God, I have never done that, nor will I ever. Why are you giving him grace? Church, your reaction to God's kindness to others speaks volumes about the state of your heart. The truth is none of us deserve anything from God, church, other than judgment and condemnation. If he gave us justice, we would all be spending eternity in hell, rightfully so. But instead, besides sparing us from wrath, he promises to reward believers for the work that he himself equips us to do. Wow, it's a double whammy. He rewards you for the work that he equips you to do anyway. So he gets the credit for our salvation and the credit for our service. That is inclusion and equality according to God's view here. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth with Grace.